today on the Become a Unique Podcast, I have such an amazing guest by the name of Greg. Welcome. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Yay. And I am so excited to um to hear all the juicy information you're going to have for us today because I love learning. But before we learn about today's topic, I would love for you to share with everyone who is Greg. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I love this question. It's open-ended. I usually try to be very concise as much as possible with this because you go off in tangents. Uh, but I'm an osteopath, exercise physiologist, and kinesiologist. I primarily deal with people that are suffering from what I call the functional illnesses, people with fibromyalgia, uh, people with chronic fatigue syndrome, those type of conditions that the, the typical medical systems uh, don't have a good track record of, of dealing with. Uh, so that's that's me. I, I was a former uh, student athlete, played basketball at Bloomsburg University in, in Pennsylvania. I uh, did my uh, osteopathy here in, in Canada. I live in, uh, I live in Vancouver with my wife and two children. Beautiful. Thank you. Right to the point. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But I do I do have a question about your occupation about yes. your occupation because um osteopath, like I I personally haven't heard of it. Um <laughs> I can't wait for you this year what an osteopath is, what do you do? Like, could you break that down a little bit more so I can have more understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So um osteopathy was first, you know, kind of discovered or it was first kind of uh coming to to a profession in the uh, early 1900s. The the founder is called Andrew Taylor Still. Uh he was a medical doctor that came in and and uh learned a lot of alternate healing techniques uh, of how to best help people and primarily through various forms of of manual therapy. Uh in the United States it developed into a medical degree so you can be a allopathic doctor which is classified by an MD. Or you can be an osteopathic doctor, which is a, a DO, or both you go through medical school for. The kind of difference is, is that osteopaths have a little more hands-on type of training with manual therapy and tend to be more on the, the root causes of uh, a disease and illness, uh, mm -hmm. where the doctors and the allopathic side of things are typically more about symptom management and uh, dealing with you already have a disease or you already have an illness is kind of a, and be able to manage that as best as possible. The rest of the world, though... Uh, it's a little bit different. So especially in, in Canada, it's it's more along the lines of like a, a physical therapist, I would mm -hmm. say, where it's it's more about the manual therapy and, and management of of conditions using that primarily uh, as a, a as his intervention. Uh, so it's really big in Europe. Um, you know, in France, it's, it's huge. I have a lot of friends that are from France, and when anytime even when they would be sick, uh, whatever it be, they go see an osteopath, and and it's big in Australia. And it's starting to grow in Canada. It came here in in the in the eighties uh, by a French individual. They came and started a school up in in Canada, uh, and so osteopaths primarily deal with more of the complex type of of conditions when it comes to around the, the chronic pain, the chronic fatigue, people that have suffering from really um, high stress lives, develop anxiety or depression in in those type of areas. We definitely kind of uh, focus on the functional illnesses. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So you kept saying manual therapy. So. When you see a, a client or a patient, you know, and you want to treat them, you're not mm -hmm. going to treat them with a prescription, writing it down. You're going to um, treat them with your hands, like a physical therapist, like yeah, it's a part I of what I do. So, um, yeah, so so uh, you know, I have a few different things that I that I have as a background, and one of those tools that I use is the tools that I've I've has as an osteopath. Um, just in Canada, it makes sense because um, osteopathic visits are covered by insurance, uh, mm -hmm. and so. Not our government insurance, but private insurance, so people can can use that as just a, as a as a title to help kind of uh, cover uh, some of the costs. But overall, uh, as we'll get into, there's many modalities that I use to be able to help people. I don't just use manual therapy, and that's all necessary that I do. Is that we use multiple different things in our assessments of understanding of to where is the stress necessarily coming from? What are other areas of health and well being outside of manual therapy that could be a benefit? Whether that's physical activity, optimizing nutrition, looking at your, your sleep, stress management techniques. And I'm in a clinic, uh, uh, downtown Vancouver, where we surround ourselves with medical doctors, naturopaths, physical therapists, massage therapists, acupuncturists, all sorts of different, uh, allied healthcare modalities to work on these, uh, uh chronic, um, uh, conditions with individuals to really have the greatest success. Uh, cause if you just, if you have one lens and one area, yeah. Yeah. You're not going to have a lot of success helping a wide range of people, but I try to open my eyes up to figure, okay, well, am I the right 
person for this person in front of me or are there other people that may need to get involved? Yeah, you know, I love this um, because I love to always say there's not one magic blue pill, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a lifestyle, <laughs> you know, you got it. It comes from so many different angles. You're not going to just go to the gym and lose weight. You got to match it with the way you eat and, and so on. So I absolutely love this. Now, one last question on this, um, who would come to you? So like, if I have a common cold, am I coming to you or do I need to like, have like, okay, I'm suffering from, you know, anxiety and depression or, you know, I, my body is hurting or I have diabetes. Like wh who's coming to you? Great question. Yeah. In United States osteopaths are, are, um, again, you'd see someone for like that for a cold or an illness or whatever it may be. Uh, you, you do because they have the ability to, you know, provide prescriptions and, and do typical, uh, medical allopathic uh, medicine. Now, in Canada, people come see me typically because of more symptoms related to poor well-being than poor health. So poor well-being would be to the point that they don't have the same amount of energy. They're suffering from a certain amount of tightness into what's going on. And, and they go see the traditional roots of the medical doctors and like, well, we can't find anything wrong with you medically you know, go see this person or that person. So we usually get involved as a secondary uh, um, a medical system uh, for individuals and when they have more of these complex conditions. And, and so uh, typical people that see osteopaths in, in Canada and around the world, it's usually around for these chronic conditions, pain primarily, that have been around for months, if not years, and they haven't had a really good handle on how to best improve it. And so that's usually where we get involved is, mm. as people already have seen a physical therapist or a chiropractor yeah. or a massage as an individual, and those modalities haven't worked. And so they're looking for another thing. And, and so we provide um, uh, services for typically those type of individuals. Okay. So like functional medicine practitioner where you dive deeper than just like the surface of like your blood work says this and you're fine. You know, you die. Exactly. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, that's, and that's how I uh, work with how we work at the clinic downtown is, is we, we try to comb through everything. Uh, we don't just think that our modality that we have is, is the ideal situation. And, and uh, I sit back with individuals and look at their, their life as a, as a whole and figure out, you know, where do we best need to go and whether the focus on, and we talk about the, the dietary side where we have, you know, tests and assessment to determine that. Is it the more exercise side where we, you can, we assess and look at those things. So we try to prioritize um, people's health and well-being um, based on the factors that we feel are the low-hanging fruits, which I, I, I think typically most people, and uh, um, especially in the medical system, do a very, very poor job of doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I love this. Okay. Yeah. Poor well-being. Like you think you, the, you, on your doctor's note, it may look like everything's all checked, but if you're like, you know what, I still just don't feel good. This is when they should definitely seek you out. Yes. 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 So, so how I kind of connected all is, is I kind of asked people like, you know, what is health, right? Cause everyone wants to be healthy. Define what health actually is. And, and the definition of health is, is a complete physical, mental, and social well-being, right? A state of physical, mental, and social well-being. And then it goes to a point of well, what's a state of well-being? What does that actually mean? We talk about what's a, what's physical well-being, what's mental well-being. And what that is, is it's our ability to, to manage the normal stressors, of life to cope with the normal stress. So it's a, it's our, our ability. Well-being is our ability to cope with physical stressors of life. And yeah. then emotional well-being is, is emotional stressors of life and look at those individually. So it really comes down to, you know, poor stress management and what's the resultant of poor stress management, poor energy, pain, anxiety. These things are the warning signs that we have that our health is abnormal, which is it comes into that well-being. Our state of well-being has been affected, yeah. and so that over time, if you ignore those signs of well-being, uh, with a lot of Type A personalities do, they try to oh, I fine, just give me some more coffee, or I'll uh, you know I'll do certain yeah. things to kind of power through this, and then you know the the heart attack happens out of nowhere. Mm. When the grand scheme of thinking was out of nowhere, the warning signs were there; they were just suppressed and ignored. Yeah, it's a quote that says, listen to your body when it whispers before it screams or something to that extent. <laughs> That's a much better way of putting it. That's a, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I the today's topic is HRV. And I know you focus a lot on HRV. Mm. And I can say in my lifestyle, in my community, you know, whoever I'm speaking with, 
I'm not throwing around the term HRV. So, you know, just as I was clueless, I'm sure there are other clueless individuals out there. So what is HRV? Yeah, so HRV stands for heart rate variability. So that's uh, the term that's used. And this is used, uh, uh, when it was popularized, was more on the sports performance side of things uh, mm -hmm. than it was in regards, to, but the, it's rooted in very medical. So I'll be able to kind of frame this nicely and kind of compare it to heart rate because people know heart rate, 60 mm -hmm. beats per minute, 90 beats per minute and, and all those areas. But if we look at two individuals and they both have a resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute, right? Not too bad. It's not high. It's not low. It's kind of in that kind of okay range where individual number one has a consistent metronome-like heart rate where it's on the second every second where another individual has a varying heart rate right? It speeds up and it slows down and this nice rhythmic pattern. And over the minute, right? They both have 60 beats, but the frequency of which those beats are different. Mm -hmm. What research shows is that some, the person with more variability is in a healthier, happier, mm -hmm. well state than the other, other individual. Wow. Okay. This I is what I, like yeah, I so, that's the other one. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> everyone, because that's the thing is, is we think of health as, as we call it homeostasis or, or our ability to maintain a stable environment of saying like, Hey, we need our blood sugar to be this or our, our, um, uh, uh, you know, heart rate to, to, to be this or that everything is needs to be consistent. We need to have this nice, normal, uh, uh, you know, repetitive number where heart rate variability, it's, it's actually the opposite. And, and a lot of people, it's, it's very curious. And to me, this is what we call a whole health biomarker is that anything, and we talked about, you know, the connection between health and stress, we have to be able to manage stress. So what happens when our body's stressed, right? And the stress can come from, as we talked about physical aspects, where poor sleep, poor diet, lack of exercise, we get uh, sick, a pathogen comes in and, and any kind of illness in that standpoint. Uh, we got to talk about uh, emotional stressors, which is, you know, life and, and work and relationships and uh, the world events and these various things that can impact our stress levels and social, you know, being isolated or, or being socially uncomfortable being around a lot of people. I mean, you know, I want to be, you know, have a lot of social anxiety, all these things cause stress. And when stress comes on, what happens is our heart rate variability goes down and our heart rate goes up. So it's a, it's a, it's an indication of that that's happening. The reason why we like heart rate variability more than heart rate is that it's significantly more sensitive to stressors of life. Mm -hmm. So you see much bigger, uh, earlier changes in heart rate variability than you would in heart rate mm -hmm. and see the impacts of the things that, that, that happen where we're, we're, if we're in a healthy state, we exercise regularly, we eat well, we get a lot of rest. We manage stress appropriately. We all have stress, but we we interpret it in the right way. And we, we're okay being around people and have good, strong relationships. Mm -hmm. We see that our heart rate varies significantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so to me, this is a phenomenal indication of, of how well is this person doing from overall? Mm -hmm. right? of all these, If all these things were equal, our physical stressors, our emotional stressors, our social are, are all equal under one umbrella. How are mm -hmm. we doing? Yeah. And then with that information, we start to dive into these various aspects of the, the biological, the psychological, and the social well-being of individuals. Like, well, if our body is in a stressed state, where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so a couple of questions. When you go to the doctor and they, they, they check your heart rate or you go to the emergency room and they check your heart rate, that is different than the variability? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah, so... Early on research, what it was done, it was it was done in in space uh, with a lot of the the astronauts in regards to looking at their stress levels up there. It's, it was used very heavily in, in neonatal research of looking at the stress of a of a, of a fetus uh, or a baby to look at that. Mm -hmm. Also, to a degree that they looked at people that had heart attacks, where they they found that people that had higher heart rate variability were less likely mm -hmm. to develop a, a second heart attack and actually had a better prognosis leaving the hospital. The higher the heart rate variability was. And this started looking into the mechanisms as to why that was happening. And so a lot of research has got into psychological, where we know people that have depression, anxiety, PTSD, all these things come with lower variability, this more severe that it is. Same with isolation. When you talk about so our relationships, there's, there's something, uh, a book called The Polyvagal Theory by Stephen Porges. He talks about our, we are social beings and how our nervous system is wired into to that. You know that sometimes when you walk into a room, you kind of, you can feel the vibe sometimes of like, 
this isn't a place that I want to be able to, to be and just walking to feel that connection of other people and the, and, and what they're giving off and that side of things or, or talking to individuals. Like, I don't know what it is, but yeah. I don't trust this person. Right. And your, your yeah. senses are aware you're, you're experiencing a threat, which is a stress state. So we, we go in, into that. So all these areas come into our, our nervous system communicated through it. We can capture that through heart rate variability, which it's this phenomenal tool. Mm-hmm. So, so let's just get some basics. Yeah. What should an average heart rate, you know, HRV be for the average person? Yes. So the the research for a long time was very convoluted in the fact there was different metrics because we we have well established that beats per minute is what we know is, is for heart rate, right? There's other ways to calculate it. We can look at, again, uh, uh, how many how many uh, uh, beats with current in, in you know 30 seconds or how many abnormal beats can happen. There's many ways to calculate heart rate. So heart rate variability is under the same thing where there's a lot of different statistics out there. Now, what's great is the fact I think we relatively agreed upon one statistic that gives us a representation of heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. You don't have to memorize this. I haven't memorized the equation, but just to, if you want to look at any kind of numbers, it's called the root mean square of successive differences. So all you have to know is that it's RMSSD. Mm-hmm. So all the numbers that I'm going to suggest is based on this specific value because this is what all these the wearables that are on and smartwatches on the market mm-hmm. this is the statistic that they represent mm-hmm. so what's a good number uh when i have dealt with olympians high level athletes things like that typically you're in the range of about 80 to 100 mm-hmm. that seems to be very good right and that's in milliseconds now people that i deal with in regards to functional illnesses people that have cardiovascular disease any type of like cancers things like that you're looking at anything typically under 30 sometimes under 20 milliseconds Mm -hmm. so what happens sorry go ahead okay so the high athlete is going to be 80 to 100 the one that's going to be struggling a little bit they trying to you know they have the poor well-being <laughs> yes they're going to be going around the 30 yeah. um, milliseconds um yes. that, that, okay and so i'm going to assume the average would be in the middle like 60 exactly you got it and and so very similar to most processes as we age you start to see that decrease over a period of time right so you start to say that you know people in their in their 20s you're you're, you're typically healthy you don't have a lot of stressors typically at that point they're, you know, they're averaging into that, that 60s, into the 70s, and that type of stuff. That's kind of where they're at. And you start to be able to see that decrease over a period of time. Or people in their 60s, their average is around 35 milliseconds, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's we know is average. We kind of go through. But we know that we can mitigate that and keep that number high. Very similar to you if you look at another marker of longevity, which is they call VO2 max or aerobic capacity. It's another uh, metric where it's, it's, it's the people you see when you, you run on a treadmill and they have that mask on them. Oh, okay. Right. So they, they gather all this oxygen information of, of what's going on. And the more oxygen that we can consume and utilize, the longer, healthier that we live. Mm. And so, but as you see, if you look at, at averages, you see that number, you know, decrease over periods of time. But we see that people that can keep it higher, they keep it above that average as high as they possibly can live longer. They're happier uh, and they get they get sick less often. And so it's very similar with heart rate variabilities that I've had people that are super healthy that have heart rate variabilities, you know, when they're in their sixties into the, into the seventies and eighties, which is, you know, they're doing phenomenal. Uh, okay. And I've also had people that are you know in their early thirties that uh, are, are suffering from a lot of uh, mental health uh, issues that their heart rate variabilities in, in the twenties. Um, and so you, you see that, but the goal is from an overall perspective is that whatever the number is, we want to be able to maintain that or increase it as much as we possibly can uh, from there. Uh, it, it, it depends on many things. So for instance, I'm not dealing with any health issues right now, which is great. I have a good HRV number. Awesome. My goal is to keep it there. Where some people will come into me and they have something, they have depression, they have fatigue, they have diabetes, something that's necessarily happening with them and their heart rate variability is in the in the 30s, okay, we, we want to be able to get that up. The better we can manage our blood sugars, our heart rate variability increases. Mm. The more that we exercise, our heart rate variability increases. So anything that's positive for our health increases our heart rate variability. And we want to be able to try to maintain that and get it as high as we possibly can. Okay. Okay. This is great information to know. So basically, let's say, you know, 
I'm sitting here. I feel like I have pretty much a clear bill of health. I, you yep. know, I don't have any issues that I know of the doc, you know, from the doctor's standpoint, oh, your blood looks, looks good. But I go ahead and let's say get a smartwatch or some type of measurements. And all of a sudden I see my HRV is low. Is that a trigger to let me know maybe something is happening inside of me and I should look deeper or should I just be like, I feel fine. You know, let me just keep on living my best life. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would suggest is is people to come in, they're like, well, I'm below average, right? I, I look at these results of these, you know, say it's a, a specific wearable and you look up to the point of like, hey, well, you know, based on my my sex and, and my age, where should I be? And you say, oh, well, I'm below average of where I should be. I wonder as to why. There's a various hierarchy of, of looking at your health and well-being. And a lot of people that are, are lower, you got to look at truly what we call the, again, the biological, the psychological, and the social aspects of well-being. I'd say a lot of people that are surprised by their lower scores are doing great with regards to exercise. They're doing great in regards to their sleep and recovery. They're, they're trying to be able to optimize it. And they're doing a pretty good job with the nutrition. It usually comes off on the psychosocial side of things, mm. whether it's their stress management at work that really gets them, or so there's something happening with their kids over their, their relationship with their spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes like their interpretation of the world around them. They're surrounded by a perceived threat all yeah. the time. Right. And it can go up con uh, subconsciously because you, you think about the times of, you know, you've gone through a stressful part of your life and you go through it and you in the time you think I'm OK. And then when you come out of it, what do you say? Oh, man, was I stressed during that time? I can't realize it. Yeah. Didn't, like whether a poor yeah. relationship, whatever, maybe it wasn't made that it. bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and yeah. you have to realize those things. And so it's our own perception of our health and well-being sometimes is skewed. And so using a objective marker like heart rate variability gives an indication of that, you know, are we, are we living our best life? Are we actually thriving? Or are we just surviving? Is there something that I'm missing that I can go through? So it's not diagnostic to a degree of like, oh, you're, you know, you're 25 years old and your HIV is in the twenties and you're going to have a heart attack tomorrow. Oh, it's, it's not yeah. diagnostic in that side of things, but it should cause uh, a level of, of investigation yeah. into your physical, your mental and your your social well-being uh to making sure that you, you're doing all the, the right things yeah so it's allowing you to pause even though you're like i'm eating organic everything i'm going to the gym two to three times you know times a week i'm doing i'm doing all the check boxes and then it's low and then you're like wait a minute it's time for you to pause like you know am i really dealing with my work relationships well and whatever it may be um absolutely it, 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 it allows you to pause when you look at the numbers and really say, you know, am I suppressing stuff and dot, 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 dot. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and it comes down to, you know, I, I have this long-term client that I've seen for a very long time uh, in, in the chronic pain space. Uh, she's in, she's in her thirties. And I can tell you right now, we both know exactly what the trigger is for not only her for pain, but high levels of stress and why she has a low heart rate variability. It's the relationship with her parents. Hmm. When that goes awry, everything goes awry afterwards. Mm -hmm. It is the trigger for her. She can do all the right dietary things, the right this, the right that, yeah. but this is what's holding back her her well being is is the is the relationship that she has and her, all the past traumas um, and current relationship and what's going on and resurfacing uh, that that is the the biggest thing for for individuals. The the pain is just a representation. It's a symptom of this deep rooted, uh, you know, well-being issue that needs to be addressed. And so what's great of this is that she's now aware yeah. that she can mitigate the response, right, mm -hmm. to the issue before it becomes full-blown. So we don't have those gigantic highs and lows anymore. We're mm -hmm. more in this space where she can continue to function, still has highs and lows, but they're not as drastic as they were before because we know what those triggers are. We know what can impact her pain, impact her stress, impact her anxiety, all those things. And we start to mitigate those things early on. Uh, so she has a significant amount of agency and control uh, over uh, her health and well-being. Okay. Yeah, this is this is amazing to know that we have so many tools out there to just kind of like address things. Um you know, I have a few more questions around this as well, too. So will our heart rate 
you know, HRV change, let's say I'm suffering from like a cold, I have a runny nose and this and that, or I really did some intense workout and my body is sore because it's inflamed. Um, like, will that be changing my HRV? Drastically, there's a direct connection of inflammation and heart rate variability. So we'll do a little science of the background. So the, the nervous system that we have is the sympathetic nervous system. So uh, uh, that in a stress response, it, it increases our heart rate. This is our fight or flight response, as we always hear, uh, you know, in the presence of a tiger, you know, it increases our heart rate, uh, uh, increases our blood pressure. We, our senses become heightened, all those things to perceive this, this threat. Um, and what, uh, and then when our parasympathetic, our rest and digest system comes, it brings everything back down. It's yeah. like our brake system in, into that. What controls our brake is a big nerve from our, our cranium called the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And our vagus nerve has, a, uh, has control over our body's inflammation. It's, you know, in it's more activity. So it's more active. Uh, typically our inflammation is lower when it's less active. Our inflammation is higher. Mm -hmm. So there's a direct link between variability and this vagus nerve is what actually drives uh, our, our variability of our heart rate. So the, the as our, our the innervation goes to the heart, increases variability, we know that inflammation is down. So HRV goes up, inflammation goes down. We know that, which is which is absolutely phenomenal. So you're completely right. When you do a lot of exercise, your body's in recovery mode, you're doing all those things. Yes, absolutely. When you get sick, your immune system kicks off, right? A part of that is the inflammatory response. HRV is going to go down. The biggest yeah. one I think is an eye over for individuals. And I think for people that are interested in health and well-being, we know alcohol is bad. Mm -hmm. Not until you start to monitor your heart rate really, do you know how bad it actually is for you? Mm. I've actually got someone who is a, a, a coping with chronic pain for 20 years with fibromyalgia that used alcohol as a coping, me coping mechanism. And she stated, I, I, I know it's bad for me, but it helps me, right? So that was a part of our first conversation where she's like, it's, it's a way for me to be able to deal with the pain. We got her on monitoring heart rate variability and her response was, I knew alcohol was bad for me. I didn't know it was this bad. So it literally, her numbers would be like dropping so low. Her numbers would be an averaging into the 40s. It would go to 10. Wow. Just from like having a night of alcohol. Drastic wow. changes in regards to that. It is now over a year that she's been sober hmm. because yes, she's able to quantify it. She can see it in her, mm -hmm. right? It's it's those things. Sometimes it's, it's hard for people to look at that stuff. Like, again, we don't know sometimes that we're stressed. So we, we know we're yeah. stressed, but we don't know how bad it is. But if you start to be able to look at it and you can quantify it and become aware of it, you can mitigate that rebound in fact, uh, a fact that we all get from, from stress. Uh, uh, to be able to make sure that we kind of, again, maintain a healthy life. Mm. Okay. Okay. This is, that's great to know because a lot of times, especially in the culture we're in, it's like, we need to see hard facts. We need to see numbers, you know, so what you say this and that I need to see it on paper. Um, so exactly. it's the two different individuals. It's that objective and subjective. Some people, you know, yeah. what they want is to be able to feel better, feel supported. Like it's kind of that, that, uh, a connection uh, with an individual and, and be able to feel all those things. Other people, they need that data. They need that that um, that quantification type of system that's in you know not refu it's re irrefutable in regards to to what it comes through. So it's it helps with both of those aspects. You know, a lot of things we do in in health and well being, um, uh, especially in kind of the the allied health or the alternative side of things, it, it's very subjective. Right. You mm -hmm. talk about dealing with pain or feeling better or energy. It's like, well, how are you feeling? It's all based on them. If we can support that with a biometric, mm -hmm. it's 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 more evidence that we're, you know, people are like, oh, not only do I feel subjectively better, my health overall is improving. This is yeah. it's it's a win-win. This is great. Right. Some exactly. people just don't know. And having this together is 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 phenomenal for people. It's so um amazing. Earlier on, um, you had said um, beats per minute, um, BPM. Yep. And, you know, so if someone, after listening to this conversation, now they want to just start digging into this. And can you um, just break down the difference between beats per minute and the HRV? Because also with devices and things like yeah. that, they may be seeing this and thinking, oh, I've been monitoring my heart rate. Oh, I have that thing and it monitors and I'm fine. But... Could you just kind of like give the comparison of the differences? 
Totally. So what BPM looks at is they, at most watches, they'll take a small sample and kind of estimate how many beats would occur in a, in a minute. Right. Mm -hmm. So just take how many, like, so, you know, uh, the way that your heart is going right now, it's, it's going to beat 60 times in the minute. If you start moving and walking, it starts to speed up because, okay, well now it's probably going to beat about a hundred beats mm -hmm. per minute, right. In that, that time frame, it doesn't tell you when the beats are occurring, you know, uh, you know, are they going boop, 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 boop. It just, it mm -hmm. estimates that time uh, in that. It's, it's an estimation of how many beats are going to be able to occur. Mm -hmm. heart rate variable that looks at is the actual time in between each beat. How quick does each beat actually occur? Right? Is it fast? Is it the millisecond short where it's very quick? Or is there a big gap in between the, the heartbeats? Mm -hmm. And so what we want to be able to see is that over a period of time is that we have these kind of this fluctuation of the time happens in between each of those beats. So the mm -hmm. calculation one looks at, okay, well, you know, based on this rhythm, it's going to beat about 60 beats in, in the, in the minute where this one that goes, okay, well, this beat uh, occurred in, in 1.2 seconds, this one in 0.95 seconds, this one in 1.4 seconds, this one in 1.6, this in 0.6 seconds. And so we capture all of those. And what we want to be able to see is that we don't have a repetitive number. We don't want to see those numbers very close together. We want mm -hmm. to see them varied apart. We want big time intervals in between these beats in a nice fluctuating pattern. So that's where the importance comes in. This is more as a, of a sensitive biometric. So look at that. Yes, having a great uh, heart rate it, it lower is good, but it's not much of a predictor in regards to our health and well-being comparatively to something like heart rate variability. Mm, okay. So with um, BPM, how many beats is like per minute is like the average person? Mm. So average out there in the literature, they always say is anywhere from 60 to 100. Now we know high level athletes, they're typically in the 40s, sometimes as low as the 30s and super high level athletes. Healthy individuals are typically in the 50, 50s, right? People that are very physically active and then yeah. kind of general health people, people are typically in the 60s and then going higher and higher. And it's very similar as we talked about, it's like, you know, what's average, right? And we have yeah. this in the medical system of like saying, okay, well, if it's below 100, we, we don't need any medical intervention, mm -hmm. Right. As a person that's trying to optimize health and well-being, I don't want to see anything above 60. Mm. That tells me that that's where I want people to be. Yeah. Rather than I'm being okay because you're just not in a disease state. Like if I saw someone with a resting heart rate of 80, I'm like, what the heck is going on with this person? Mm -hmm. Right? We need to be able to make sure like, why are you having 80 beats per minute where that is right in the middle of acceptable in regards to the medical system? Because there is no medical intervention at that point. But I guarantee you there's been years of that's creeping up and it's going to get there and there's something under the surface that needs to be addressed now. It's not a problem at this moment, mm -hmm. but it absolutely will be. Now, okay, thank you for um, breaking that down for us a little bit more. Now, is there, can you do a comparison to comparison? So like um, HRV to um, BPM. So let's say the average person, like you said, you want them to be at 50 to 60 and then the average um for hrv what would you want them to i mean like will you be able to put them in the chart to see what both should be yeah i did this early on in my career so i've been doing hrv for over a decade now and, and i did this really early on i'm like can, can you almost predict based on someone's resting heart rate what their heart rate variability would would be no mm -hmm. uh so how, how would how we describe it in in research is that there's not a lot of interperson mm -hmm. uh, uh correlations Right. So, yeah. you know, I can have 10 people with with a, a resting heart rate of, of 60 beats per minute. I can tell you if it's going to be 80, 40, 20. Mm -hmm. if, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. But there's a lot of intra person correlations mean the fact that if your heart rate goes from 60 to 55, you will have a typically a higher heart rate variability, if that okay. makes sense. Right. So when what when heart your heart rate goes down. The birth, mm -hmm. Your heart rate variability will go up, but we okay. won't be able to. We won't be able to predict. You know, if you and I, and you know, three of our friends come together and we all have sixty beats per minute, you would have zero idea what to expect from a heart rate variability standpoint. So basically, your resting heart rate or your BPM, when that goes, um, when that goes down, the HRV should be going up. Yes, so yep. kind of like the, they go in like opposite. 
um, directions. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you see that. That's exactly right. So in, in within the person, that's what you would see is that typically a increase in someone's heart rate variability results into a lowering of, of uh, um, resting heart rate. Now, granted, you can have drastic changes in someone's heart rate variability going from like a 40 to an 80 with like a three or four beat difference in regards to resting heart rate. Because it's measured by, you said milliseconds? Yeah, milliseconds is a specific way of, of looking at the variation. And so mm -hmm. it's just significantly more sensitive to change mm -hmm. than, than heart rate is. Heart rate is a little more, you know, uh, genetically um, determined mm -hmm. uh, in many different ways <clears throat> and based on your, your physiology um, and how things are. So it's a little, it's a little harder to change that. And it takes a lot longer to change that and a lot more interventions where heart rate variability can actually be changed uh, quite quickly. Uh, over that time, um, mm -hmm. comparatively. So you, that's where, to me, it's, it's such a more important metric to to look at. And now when we're measuring the HRV now, um, because we're all different individuals, like you said, yeah. um, does age, like I'm assuming that when you're putting all your input in, it's going to, you know, analyze your age and things like that. Now, are children's rate naturally different from adult rates, just as you said, high athletes may just be naturally different than um than a regular average person. Yeah, th what's interesting is the fact that, you know, as we know, uh, children, they have typically higher resting heart rates, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why is because their heart's smaller, it's developing and all that type of stuff, but they also have high heart rate variabilities in that case as well. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, a, a majority of the research is not on um, uh, younger children. Uh, a lot of the, especially with when it comes to the accessible information from these consumer wearables, they don't produce any information under the eight, the 18 years old, uh, just for, for legal okay. purposes. So you, when you, but you start to look at 18, yes, you see that downward trend. If you look at these companies, whether it's, you can look up heart rate variability in Fitbit, heart rate variability and, and Garmin or Apple, you start to, you'll, they'll, they'll have these trends that show you kind of what the average numbers are. And you definitely see that, that decrease over periods of time. Typically, men uh, and the younger ages have a higher heart rate variability that starts to be able to uh, come together quite nicely. By the time we're about 60 ish, 60, 65, it seems mm -hmm. to be pretty darn equal uh, at that point. Uh, but typically, men at the young, early stages of life will have higher heart rate variability than, than females. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, to me, it's the, if, and that's the thing is if you're healthy, happy, you love life, love your job. You got great relationships. You know, you you have stress, but you're like I, you know, I love the stress that's involved. You're you're physically active. You're eating. You're eating well. You're sleeping. You're like living your best life. Nothing indicates that anything's wrong. Your heart variability is a little bit lower. Great. Whatever that low number is, comparatively, it's 40, 50. It's got to stay there. That's yeah. the number we got to be able to keep and maintain that. Okay. And then how often does it update? Because let's say, oh, you had a stressful couple of days and it's like, okay, it's been a crazy week out here, but now that event is over, all that stress and the load I was on, like it, how, like, like what's the average? Like, you know, is it considering that you had a crazy one week out of like every eight months or something? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so so what I've seen, so what's great about these new wearable devices is that uh, how they measure HRV is through the night, right? So they take a bunch of your samples through the nighttime and they look at your average when you sleep. And that's the number they produce when you wake up in the morning to say, hey, you know, what's my, what's my, you know, how am I dealing with stress right now? Did I recover from it? Am I not? Um, what I've seen is that for every day that you have a high stress event, there's about a day of recovery needed. People get back to baseline. Okay, that seems to be about. Uh, I mean, everyone's individual, but that seems about be the, the reaction. I'll use a personal example that I'm not super proud of, uh, but I I uh, went with some friends to Ireland for uh, a week, um, and obviously there's a many Guinnesses were had uh, at that point in regards to, to to beers, and I had you know my heart rate variability was extremely low for the entire week. Um, when I came back home, it took about seven, eight, nine days for it to be able to kind of get back to that normal range. It took that mm -hmm. long for me to get back to, to, to normal. Now that was, uh, uh, you know, a stressful physiological, stressful event that I, I went through, uh, for those seven days, but it, it was able, you know, it took about those seven days to be able to come. And that's typically what we, we see when you have a, a high stress period where you start to see these lower heart rate variability results. It usually takes for every day that happens about a day of recovery. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, now we know age and, you know, could 
vary. It's, now, does it also vary by race and weight and all that type of stuff as well, too? Yeah, uh, race, not as much. There's not as much discrepancy in regards to, to race, but in regards to uh, uh, weight, yes. Uh, people that um, have more excess uh, body fat uh, typically have lower heart rate variabilities. That seems to be a commonality um, uh, into that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, there's quite a bit of, of non-modifiable factors. Uh, the biggest ones uh, I would say from non-modifiable is going to be age. It's going to be sex. Uh, and it's going to be uh, your your family genetics, right? So anything you're predisposed to that that comes through uh, and that's that. Like, again, if you have a family history of a lot of cardiovascular disease and happens quite rapid in, in regards to that, more the um, the uh, uh, nurture uh, nature versus nurture. So it's mm -hmm. more nature on the side of things. You're typically going to have probably a lower heart rate variability from, from that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a heart attack or you have to be in, in poor health. Uh, but it gives you those things. And so what I try to focus on with people and try to put these things into buckets for people of saying, okay, well, what's the, like your HRV is low. Okay, great. What are things that we can't change? Right. Mm -hmm. There's certain things. For instance, new parents have kids that, you know, wake up. Okay. Well, you can't control that. Mm -hmm. Sleep is modifiable, but your, your sleep is in the non-modifiable bucket right now. So we can't yeah. focus on that because that's not in your control. Yes. Right. So, and then we got to go, okay, well, what are the big modifiable things that we can do? And we break them down into the, the biological modifiable factors, psychological and social. So the biological ones we know, which are sleep, nutrition, and exercise. Mm -hmm. Those are big modifiable factors. Then we comes to psychological. We look at emotional regulation. How well do you control your emotions? Your mind body connection or interception, right? Are you are you disconnected from your body? Or are you connected? Are you aware of these signals? Again, the type A personalities we talk about that the suppress ignore. We have a we have an assessment that we can look at your amount of mind body connection you have, and people that decrease in that definitely have uh, susceptible to chronic pain, anxiety, and poor health outcomes. We look at your thought awareness. Do you magnify or ruminate about problems? Right, that's another thing we have to be able to understand because that's a big problem. We have to look at your like purpose in life. Do you, are, do you feel you're, you're fulfilling something? Do you, you have a purpose for being here? Yeah. Right. In, into that. You look at self-acceptance. Right? Are you happy with who you are? Mm -hmm. We look at our agency. Do you understand that you're in control of significant uh, uh, of your health outcomes? There's a significant role that you can play. Do you feel in control or you feel you're out of control where you have no impact on your, your daily life? And we look at your connections, your relationships with people. So we assess all these big areas from individuals and we have a really good picture of, okay, well, what's the low hanging fruit here? Yeah. Where do we need to do build address? Because each one of those areas is going to have not only a drastic impact on to our height, uh, health, our well-being, but also our heart rate variability. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, I, it, it, I'm so happy that you brought awareness to all of that because, you know, a lot of times it's like, let me eat a salad. Let me just drink more water and bringing, you know, and, and I feel like we've, you know, went around that a few times, just that reminder that, you know, it's, it's deeper than just thinking you're going to do the stuff on the surface. It's stuff that you, like you said, emotionally handling things and so on like that, you know, so I, I'm sure people are sitting here and they're like, okay, I, I, I want to dig deeper into this HRV. Like, I need to know what my number is. So you were saying that a lot of times these devices do it at nighttime. So, mm -hmm. like, so let's first just list off what what are the devices? What what's the options of like doing it on our own? And yeah. also, when you do that, like, how long does it take for it to like start to like figure a number out? All great questions. So um, the the easiest way to get started is there's uh, uh, so the easiest way is one there's a mobile application called HRV4 training. I think it's ten dollars. You don't need any pieces of equipment. Ooh, it okay. just uses it uses the the light and camera on your phone. It looks at your the the pulse going through your finger, okay. and and you're able to be able to get an accurate heart rate variability that time. Now this is now what happens is is how you do this is you wake up in the morning. You mm -hmm. go pee. If you have to go pee, you mm -hmm. come back, you lie down and you put your, you open the app, you put your finger on it. It usually think it takes like a 60 seconds mm -hmm. to get the number. And then it gives you your number for the day. Mm. Super you simple, easy pee. way to do it. What about, if you, what about, I mean, like, yes, a lot of times we do have to pee in the morning. What about if you don't pee? What happens? Yeah, then it's fine. 
Okay, but yeah. but peeing is important because you you said it. So I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, because if you're if you're you're sitting there kind of like, oh, I gotta pee. It's like your stress response. Oh, okay, you're you're bringing okay the anxiety. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's an easy way. If if you're active and you have a heart rate strap that's kind of you know Bluetooth enabled that can pair with your phone or a watch or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. there's a free app called Elite HRV. This pairs with your heart rate strap. And then you can use that together to be able to get a, a morning reading, a morning readiness reading. So you just open the app, you put your heart rate strap on, you press go, it does a 60 second reading, and then you get your number for the day. So, so now the heart rate strap, is that going around your heart? Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's like a, like polar as is typical, the one that is a company that has it or Garmin or whatever it may be, but yeah, it's just a strap you put on. It's a flexible strap that goes around. It usually okay. has a little, uh, um, uh, a little sensor at, uh, at the very front and be able to pick that up. And then you you can use that as well. So that's another way if you, you have one of those things. A quick right. moment. You just use it for readings. You don't use it like when you're working out and stuff like that. You can. It would be the same one if you want to use that, right? So some people that are individuals that are active and they have a heart rate strap. Uh, some people do uh, to be to see what their heart rate is and it pairs with their watch or whatever. You can if it pairs with your phone, you can use a lead HRV to be able to uh, to, to determine your your heart rate variability. Okay. Which is great. Mm-hmm. The, the the most popular way now is through either smartwatches or wearable uh, uh, products. These are things like the Apple Watch, uh, uh, Garmin is a big one. Um, uh, so there's smartwatches, so I'll start with those. So Apple and Garmin, uh, those are ways to be able to do that. The the higher, more expensive ones measure heart rate variability. The reason why, the reason why some of the wearables don't uh, is that you to get heart rate variability has to be very specific. You're talking about fractions of a second. Right, mm-hmm. very specific, and the quality of sensors now um, don't really pick up that sensitive information uh, because it drains a lot of battery life. So if you interact with your watch a lot, if you want high quality information coming back, very accurate heart rate variability information, you have to charge your watch like every hour or two. But mm-hmm. uh, so they they have a less quality, a high quality sensor. Uh, that does it so it estimates it and it's relatively I mean it's okay but it's not great but it's a way to start to look at some of the values uh, the other way we call wearables and these are are devices that you wear that don't have an interface right so sometimes you see just the straps that people wear or uh, for instance like I'll show you this uh, it's called the aura ring mm, okay it's a little it's a little ring that has sensors inside of it um that's, and then it pairs with my phone and I get all my information through this wearable product. And, and the sensors are really good because it, it's just, there's nothing to interact with. It just uses, uh, it just uses uh, the, the, the only energy drain is the actual sensors and information that itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can have these products that provide high quality, high um, uh, fidelity health information uh, back. And these track uh, the smartwatches and these wearables, they track primarily heart rate variability when you sleep. Um, and then you can track heart rate during, during the day. Uh, to give you a give you a feedback regards to your your stress levels uh, overall. Okay. Oh, okay, so we have a lot of options now. Do all smart watches do the HRV? Like, okay, so does Apple do it? The Apple um phone? Yes. I mean, Apple Watch. Yes, they, they do. Uh, the only downside of it is that uh, the one of the things that happens is is with wearables. They, they capture a lot of uh, information through the night, right? So like they'll they'll capture like 90 different data points, right? So, so they'll, 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 you got to keep it on. Lots. Yeah, you keep it on, just put the ring on, you sleep and it captures nine, you well, know. I meant like the the watch because like I, I wouldn't want to wear a watch. I would take it off. Um, exactly, yes. And so, and this is another thing with people with, with monitoring heart rate variability it comes to aesthetics. I want to make sure I, I don't want to wear rings. I want to wear a watch. I, you know, I don't want to wear anything on my wrist. And so we, you got to look. I mean, I don't want to sleep with things. a watch. Yeah. Exactly. So with the Apple watch, it only captures about three samples per night. Mm-hmm. Right, where where it, it gives you some information, but it may not be you know super robust, mm-hmm. uh, and that standpoint as to what's going on. So it depends on on what you want to be able to do. Even Fitbit's got um, some some cheaper wearables that can actually measure some pretty good uh, has a good amount of data from a heart rate variability standpoint. So if you have anything you would like to buy, right, whether it's an Apple Watch, a, a Garmin watch, uh, a bunch of different watches out there, you, they would they would say heart rate variability uh in, in regards to the to, to the specifications or, or that type of stuff that it measures uh mm-hmm. from there uh which is obviously for me very important 
but it depends on where you're at. If you just want it for activity, nah, you don't necessarily need it. But if you want to do a deep dive in health and you're saying, you know what, I want to focus on me, my health. I want to know what I'm doing is actually benefiting for, for me. Heart rate variability is a metric that needs to be included. Yeah, because I think with the, the yeah, the devices, like the watches, I guess a person needs to also, like, let's say the German, because um, I feel like I, I'm not exactly sure. You probably can confirm it for me because I did get a German like um, two years ago because yeah. I was um, running the marathon. But um, but I, I don't even know what the I was looking at. It was like all this stuff. I was like, I don't even know what's happening here. But um, I feel like when I was like looking at YouTube videos and stuff like that, you know, they were saying like, oh, well, this one's cheaper because it doesn't have it doesn't measure your heart or something. I feel like the, that was a conversation. So even though you may say, oh, I'm going to get the German, there are different versions. So some versions don't have the heart rate. I wonder if mine's has it. I don't know. I have to go charge it up. <laughs> yeah. Years. Yeah. Um, exactly. Some do, some don't. It just depends yeah. on what you want to be able to, to measure. I mean, some, some of them, you know, say, Hey, there, there's a fantastic GPS that does altitude. And so it's for hiking yeah. in particular, there's this for that. And so, yeah, it depends. Be just because it's, yeah, exactly. Very mindful. The option on yeah. the devices. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and then with your ring, cause the ring seems like the most convenient, yeah. um, <laughs> because you know you don't have to worry about like oh I, I took it off last night and I didn't get to do my measurements and stuff exactly. which one do you think shows the best um results out of the, yeah, so heart, the heart rate the the finger light <laughs> yeah to, to me there's uh I, I, again I have no affiliation so if people you know like oh I, I have no I don't make any money yeah. or anything in regards to these companies at all uh, but Aura Ring, uh, that's what this, these guys are. So O-U-R-A Ring. Um, they provide uh, many different things. One of the things that they provide that, that I really like is it's, it's not a lot of algorithms where it's like a lot of these numbers as like, oh, your stress score is nine. Mm -hmm. like, well, well, as a practitioner myself, I need to know what's in that information so I can make better decisions. Yeah. It's almost like to a, to a doctor, you know, there's bad cholesterol and good cholesterol. If they just go, your cholesterol's six out of 10. Mm -hmm. Well, well, how do, is that good? Is that, is that bad? Is like, yeah. if, if it's not good, how do I improve? I don't know because I don't yes. know what's in the calculation. So as a practitioner, it makes it very hard for me when I have a lot of these algorithms, I don't know how to improve the number that, that people are concerned about. So these, these guys don't hide behind that. They show, if there's any type of algorithm, they show you exactly what goes into it, um, which is phenomenal. Not only that, is they produce a lot of research around what they do. They actually go out there and they say, hey, you know, we have sleep staging. We can see, you know, look at deep sleep, you know, REM sleep, light sleep. How does this compare to the gold standard equipment? And let's show everybody it. Mm -hmm. So they go out there and show they're trying to be as close to the gold standard as possible. So I like that aspect of it all, that they're striving to provide a lot of credibility around their wearable product as well as the fact as a practitioner, it's a lot of uh, information that I can utilize to, to optimize with my, my patients. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that it's, uh, it's pretty sleek, it's pretty small, it's very mm -hmm. lightweight. Uh, and so it's, uh, to me, it's, it's uh, if anyone you know recommends, if they said they don't care about aesthetics, whatever, whatever one you go with, I'd absolutely go with these guys. Okay. But like for readings, like let's say the Apple watch over the, 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 the chest rate monitor, the chest, you know, people may be like, oh, I want the chest rate because it's right on my heart. So it know what it's doing. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the, the the most credible one is if you get a, a heart rate strap. So if, if you're physically active and you like, you want to be able to, to, to be able to monitor your heart rate with your exercise and things like that, get a heart rate strap that's uh, that, you know, can also use the, your, your phone, use the Elite HRV app, which is a free app. And you can absolutely use um, a heart rate variability for that. That is the most accurate way. It is almost perfect correlation to an ECG. Uh, mm -hmm. An ECG is an electrocardiogram where we is the goal is centered to looking at your heart rate and heart rhythm. Um, these guys, these wearables are, are pretty close. We're looking at, uh, I probably say, you know, 90, 93% uh, in regards to its accuracy comparatively to the gold standard. So pretty good. Um, I, uh, during last holidays, uh, uh, my, uh, team called me the human cyborg cause I had four different wearables on at the same time to look at, uh, <laughs> uh how they were measuring things. And, and, uh, this definitely had a phenomenal, uh, agreeance in regards to two other ones that seem to be a, a goal centered assessment as well. So it's, it's a, it's a pretty good one to, to utilize for me. And then what about the light for the phone? 
Yeah, phenomenal as well. Uh, so the, the okay. gentleman that runs that, his name is Marco Altini. He's a PhD in, in computer science. And so he's uh, he's an ath- athlete uh, by hobby, uh, but he's a, he's a, a data scientist by um, by trade. And so he uh, he's all about data credibility. And so he's done, all, he's published the research around that camera phone, the HRV for training app. Mm. He's published the research based upon that. And it's almost as accurate as, as the chest strap now. So he's doing a phenomenal job with those things too. Okay. Okay. You have, you came over here and slayed us with the information. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. And I am so happy to be stepping into this new year with this new wealth of information around HRV and just having this understanding and knowing I have another option of looking at my health overall. And, you know, so I'm assuming you can work with clients virtually now because of the fact that <laughs> we have this. <laughs> we all have this, this, yeah, because of honestly, even before um, COVID happened, mm-hmm. uh, I was doing a lot of consultations like this where people would send me their information and data. I'd ask for their blood work. I do this type of stuff and be able to develop these plans and these action plans. I can follow along from a distance, whether yeah. again, they're Australia or in Germany or, you know, uh, it, relatively locally here, I can do the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, yeah, we get these numbers and be like, okay, I'm a 40. What do I do with this? And so, um, so it's, it's, it's great to know that we have options and that we have a practitioner like you to be able to help break us down and give us an action plan to say, like, it's just like, we have this information, but it's like, now what? Exactly. You're the now what person. <laughs> now I'm what? The, I'm the now what? Yeah. <laughs> now what? So, um, yeah. So I guess we have all, all of your information in the show notes, but you can say in in case someone's a pen writer, you can go ahead and sh- share your um information now, um, before yes. we close out the show. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I just launched a, a personal website there. I'm, I'm writing some free eBooks for individuals about what is HRV and some tips to be able to improve it. So uh, stay tuned to that and, and you'll see some, some things coming in the near future uh, around that. If you're curious about uh, anything to that, again, I'll have information on wearables and, and what we can do from there. If you're already measuring heart rate variability and you say, Hey, I want to be able to improve it. You can definitely reach out and, and, and work with me. I, I do a lot of uh, virtual consultations with people and, and I take on a small amount of, of coaching people to help them through it all uh, from there. Um, and then if you already have a, a, a smartwatch or a wearable uh, and you want to know, you know, what area of my health and well-being needs to be addressed. Uh, I have a, a, a startup company. It's a free app. It's called Health QB, and, and what you do is it it assesses these ten factors that I kind of mentioned around health and well being. We do this assessment and we help prioritize uh, individuals. Like you want to make some changes in your health, is it now time to focus on nutrition or my emotional regulation? Do I need to connect with people more, or do I need to focus on my physical activity? So we prioritize these behaviors for individuals to make the, a meaningful impact uh, to their health and well being. Amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, wellness, wellness for 2024. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's to yeah. me, that's the word that I've been uh, describing to people a lot more. Everyone says be healthy. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Like it's all really about being well, for sure. Yeah. Wellness. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. But I can't let you go yet because you got to answer my personal question. And that is what does becoming unique mean to you? Yes, when, when I heard this on the other podcast and and and, uh, and what you do and in, in, in send me the 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 show notes, you know, prior to all this, what came to my mind about being unique is and what resonated with that that question is you, you you look at things now when it comes to health and well-being around diet. Diet is so convoluted, it's so dogmatic, it is uh, so nuanced where we we don't know what to to eat anymore. Water's good. Water's bad. Meat is good. Meat is bad, and and all that type of stuff. And what it honestly comes down to is 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 you knowing you, mm-hmm. understanding what you put in your body and how your body feels and how it reacts. You have to take that individual approach. Just because everyone says to do this one thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be great for you. Meditation could be phenomenal. Meditation can be devastating. Looking at deep-rooted trauma could be phenomenal, but it could also put people into a downward spiral and and uh, go in, the, in uh, that side of things. So being unique is, to 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 me, is is taking a look inside, becoming aware of yourself. Yeah. And do a lot of self-discovery of those areas uh, of health and well-being and, and finding the factors that work best for you. Don't take the thing where everyone's doing a keto diet. Everyone's doing high-intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. understand 
you and what you want to be able to accomplish? Does that meet your goals and and be happy with the fact that you're doing a lot of the self-discovery to be able to to improve? Don't don't take don't follow along what everyone else is doing. Don't follow the journey of many. Yeah. Take that individual approach and and uh, you know really do a lot of self-discovery of, of what makes you happy, what makes you have a purposeful life, uh, and be able to, to drive that forward to improve health. Yes, I love it. Don't follow the journey of many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't follow the journey of many. You're an individual. Yes, it's your journey, and it's up to you to you know take the pen and write you know and write your own book. And it's super hard, but it's people like yourself that's really kind of motivating people and draw and make people understand that they can make a, a significant amount of change, and they have and to empower them to to do that. And uh, yeah, it, it's 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 great work. It's rewarding work. It's difficult work, but it's it's uh, you know one by one we'll be able to change a lot of lives. Yes, I love that. I love it. Oh my god, you were beyond amazing. I totally appreciate you showing up for the Become a Unique podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. I know podcasting is a lot of work. It's a lot of time, but you're doing a phenomenal job. Keep it up. You're having great guests on. So keep it going. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.